listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Toonstar, an animation tech startup that produces snackable, interactive content for mobile audiences. To learn more, visit Toonstar.com or download the Toonstar app. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guests are Chad Saley and Sam Mickey, co-founders of Social Blue Book. Chad and Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, Thank excited you. to have you guys here. So I want to start off, let's find out how you two met and how you originally found your way into the online video space. Sure. Yeah, Sam and I met at the multi-channel network Maker Studios. I was VP of production and Sam was an executive there and that's kind of where we met. We would both, a lot of times, we would, you know, we would complain about things that weren't being run as efficiently as we thought they should have been. And, uh, you know, there's some things good, some things bad, and we just found, a, you know, we could relate a lot. And that's kind of how we met. Sam, what was your role maker? So I was director of, we called it, I mean, basically director of production services. We called it central services because there was a lot of different teams and, and you know, uh, pieces to the, the maker model. And in a lot of cases, a lot of them needed production resources. And so I kind of managed all the teams that were responsible for providing that from stages and equipment. Uh, and we had, it was a full production studio, right? We had three, three uh, stages and, you know, all the amenities that, that go with that and, tens of thousands of YouTube talent. So you two both come from a production background. Yes. Yeah. Why well, I do. He okay. comes from a software background. I come from... You want to yeah, I kind of... Well, I had kind of an interesting uh, introduction to the YouTube world. I was actually selling software uh, for a completely unrelated space, high-performance computing. And I had a friend that I was uh, kind of a, a co-worker with at this software company. And his brother-in-law was Shay Carl, one of the original founders of Maker Studios. And so he got introduced to Danny and Lisa, who founded uh, Maker along with Shay, and ended up landing a job there. And I kept in touch with him. And over you know a nine month period or so, he goes, Sam, this company is cutting edge. It's YouTube. You need to check this out. And so before I knew it, I came down, interviewed with Danny and Lisa, and found myself at uh, at Maker Studios. And so it was a very you know drinking from the fire hose, so to speak, uh, introduction to to the YouTube world, to the entertainment world, and found myself very immersed you know, on the production side of things, but was able to pick it all up and, and just really grew to love the space. What made you want to transition from software sales to you know, this whole new industry? I think I was open to cutting edge technologies and where I felt like new opportunities were in emerging markets. And Maker seemed to be kind of the intersection of all of those things. You know, I think that was very attractive to me, and I think I kind of foresaw in my future that I I was you know, willing and and looking to take some risks and and to explore new opportunities and, and see what I could make of myself. So you both ended up leaving Maker, and then what inspired you to launch Social Blue Book? I think I need to tell you a little bit about my background, so sure, you understand uh, uh, the genesis. Basically, I uh, in high school I was my class clown. I always wanted to have my own show, so I moved to Hollywood with the you know the idiot ambition, like thinking, oh, I can move to Hollywood and, and be a star, like just like everybody else does. So I moved out of here with the skills of avid editing, and I thought that was the future: nonlinear editing on a computer. So I landed a job at MTV Beach House, and from there landed at a bunch of jobs. Landed at the network ABC, where I was working in the on-air promo department, promoting 
their shows, the Oscars, Jimmy Kimmel, you name it. And they put the golden handcuffs on me and, and they paid me really well to stay. But I realized, you know, the real money to be made was owning your own production company. So I started Hieroglyphic Productions and we did a lot of obviously production and promo work. And uh, I eventually, uh, one day while I was a maker, I realized my extra money hieroglyphics was, make, I was making more money working part-time than I was making working full-time at ABC. So I had to make a decision. So I left and uh, I got a, a bunch of accounts. One of them was Jimmy Kimmel show. And, and we started to build Hyro up and we became one of Disney's largest vendors for on-air promotions, right? Promoting shows. Well, I was always thinking to myself, I didn't move to Hollywood to promote other people's shows. I wanted to have my own show. And I, friend said, look, I'm gonna get you a pitch at Comedy Central, right? And you can pitch your own show idea. So I was like, oh, I was all excited. I stayed up all night long and I got my pitch together and they said, hey, okay, Chad, what's your idea? And I said, it's called the Webscapers, a top secret crew digitized on the internet to surf and protect the World Wide Web. It's Star Trek on the internet. We'll zip in and out of the computer. We'll save the day. And they were like, well, that's a great idea. The internet's up and coming and we like this idea. So they gave me a business deal. After a year of business development, with their, uh, their legal and all that stuff, they came back and said, we could own your show and fire you from it, and we don't have to let you be part of it. We don't have to let you be in it or anything. And I thought, this is bullshit. I wanted to have my own show with my friends. And they said, yeah, that's the deal. You take it, you leave it. And I was like, I'm gonna leave it. And they were like, what? Nobody leaves their first deal. And I'm like, well, I am. I don't need this. I don't need, I'm not doing this for money. This is not about money for me. I already had money for my production company. Did really well. And uh, so I left and some friends of mine said, hey, there's this thing called YouTube where you can upload a video and you could have your own show. Now, you don't make any money. I'm like, I don't care about the money. I want to have my own show. So we knew we couldn't do the big idea, you know, the webscapers. So we said, what if we started to critique videos? We called it Clip Critics. And we take a couple of the characters and maybe we'll do this show and it'll get traction. And maybe someone will pick it up and give us a fair deal. So we launched the show with about... Ten or fifteen thousand dollars animation, not easy to do, right? Terrible format for YouTube, by the way. Uh, so we did it, and about the third episode in, a guy named Phil DeFranco said, "I think this is one of the funny shows on YouTube. You, should, you guys should check it out." And we blew up overnight. We became a top comedy channel, and we used to go to all the events. And I fell in love with the YouTube world. I was like, "This is so cool!" You know, you know, anybody can have their own show. So even though there was no money in it, I started to put all of my focus into YouTube. I thought. I don't care about just making money. I want to do what makes me happy. And when I go to these events and I meet people and they smile and they want to take their pictures with you, it made me really like this world. So I started to focus on that. And then from there, I met a guy named Danny Zappin. I used to make fun of his show, The Lisa Nova Show. And uh, we made fun of them and uh, I became friends with him and we could relate about the Hollywood system. And anytime he needed help, I would say, hey, why don't you use my stage? I had a green screen stage at Hieroglyphics. And I said, you guys can use it. And I would let all the YouTubers use it. I'd let you know, Mystery Guitar Man, Smosh, all these, Jai Justine, you name them, all of them use the studio for free. And, and uh, because I just wanted to help out this community. And Danny used to come to me and say, hey, you got any advice for me? You built all of this. And I said, I unite the artists, man. Let's help each other. I said, you know, we, could, we should like, like, you guys use my stage and my equipment. Why don't we work together? He goes, why don't you do it with me? We'll make a hundred million dollar company. And I said, I believe you, just don't break my light kit. And I shoved my low light kit into his piece of shit car, closed his trunk, and he drove off. Well, Danny, uh, for those of you who don't know it, he was the CEO and the founder of Maker Studios, 
right? So about a year went by and he came back to me and he said, hey, what are you doing now? And I said, I just finished directing a show called Phineas and Ferb, take two. I'm doing nothing. He says, I want you to come over to Maker and help me with some org structure and process. So I said, cool. So I ended up going over there and there was like 200 people there. I'm like, what's going on? He goes, I got startup money. I'm like, what's a startup? Right. And I didn't know what a startup was. So I was like, look, just, I want you to be like my, one of my right hand guys, help me with, you know, org structure process and like be like my VP of production. Like I got a partner. He goes, what's he do? I go, he does on air promotion. Like I do. He goes, we'll hire him. I go, what about my, our company? He goes, give me, give me the last five year statements. And we'll buy it. So he gave me no reason not to go over there. And I thought that YouTube was the future. And I thought Maker, because it had all my favorite creator friends there. I wanted to go there. So I went there and uh, Danny said, they show them everything. They opened the books. They showed me everything. And then I learned a lot is what I could say while I was there. You know, so I learned a lot. I can't say too much there. I didn't really agree with the MCN business model after a while. It started off for the right reasons, but it all became about money, which makes sense. If you're a VC, you want your money back. So they were focusing on things that were money and weren't focusing on, as far as I felt, they weren't focusing on what I would have. I kept saying, manpower is not scalable, but software is, right? But, you know, that wasn't the plan. They wanted to build a studio and have stages. Do you think that was only the case I maker? I think a lot of the big networks had this problem trying to figure it out. I mean, think about it. We had three sound stages and we had 55,000 creators. How many of those creators got to use the sound stages? Very few. Most of them aren't even based in LA. Right. right. That's exactly right. So I kept saying, Sam, do you remember the question I asked? Uh, can you say that? The question I asked in the company meeting? Yeah. So we're in a company meeting. Uh, there's probably 400 people there. And Anon Kreese had actually taken over as uh, Danny had resigned as, as CEO. Anon Kreese had taken over as chairman and president of Maker. And we just opened it up for a Q&A session and and Chad asked the question, well, you know, look, a lot of the executives here don't necessarily get, get invited to the parties with the content creators, you know, our customers, like I do, because they, I think they really see me as one of them. So, you know, what am I to tell these content creators when they say, hey, I'm not getting a lot of value from being here at the network. What should I do? The question that Chad asked was, you know, when these content, when these content creators contracts with Maker are up, what, what are you going to do to keep them around, right? What's the value we're going to be providing to the content creator? And I think that was ultimately kind of the question that was very difficult for a lot of the multi-channel networks to answer. I think to some degree, there was a little bit of like identity crisis of we have these content creators, you know, tens of thousands of them as customers. How do we best take care of them? You know, what do they see us as really providing to them? And so, you know, I think with a lot of that in mind, you know, we understood those problems and wanted to, you know, venture out on our own to create software to help solve those problems. So that's really interesting. And, and I agree that early on, the MCN 1.0 business model, if you will, which was focused on scale, large content aggregation, and, and mostly uh, reliance on AdSense revenue, right? The passive income stream was arbitrage, right? It wasn't meant to last and, and it wasn't providing sustainable value to certain creators. Uh, but I do think that the MCN model, whatever you want to call it, has evolved since then, right? And you've sure. had new networks pop up. You've had international players who are you know, trying to serve talent and, and building businesses around creators, helping them grow a sense of community, monetize better, grow their audiences. Have you guys seen a similar evolution in the MCN approach? I've seen a lot more people realize they don't need to be with MCNs. They realize now that they can do it themselves and on their own. I think the problem with a lot of, you know, these MCNs early on, they kind of, they've ruined the name for the MCNs is they would, you know, here's a famous 
this is this is like well known in the industry. Creator was offered ten thousand uh, dollars from uh, MCN. The intern for the MCN accidentally sent him the entire deal. Guess how much that entire deal was for? Over a hundred thousand. Yeah, it was one hundred fifty thousand dollars. So the creator's like, "What is this?" And they're like, "Yeah, you weren't supposed to see that." What? what? I wasn't supposed to see that. Yeah, yeah, that like, you know, and they would push a lot of stuff towards the media buy, right? The pre-roll, lower third, the, the display ads. And everybody knows the real ROI was in the branded integration side. It's like 11X anything else, right? In digital. So, you know, you, but, but a lot of networks would make the most money on the media buy, which makes sense. They need to make profit. When you have 400 people on your staff, where's the money going to come from? It's going to come from the creator's pocketbooks, right? So... We thought this isn't the right business model. We could build tools that empower creators to where they could broker their own deals. And that's how Social Blue Book came about. Hey, what if you knew your value? Do you know how many people we pissed off when we came out with Social Blue Book? I mean, I had a big executive, not maker, one of the other networks came up to me. Why would you tell the creators what they're worth? He's pissed. And I said, why wouldn't we? We had like a stare down at a VidCon. And he didn't know what to say to that. So he backed down, he walked off, and he was just pissed. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about uh, Social Blue Book and the inspiration behind it. It sounds like you, know, you wanted to build software that could scalably serve a creator community and also show them their true value. Right, yeah, and yeah, that's exactly right. So we started to talk to the creators. You know, I was a creator, and they were being taken advantage of. You know, I knew one was like, how much do you think, you know, they're getting paid and I'm getting paid? And it made me start to question everything. Like, it made me start to think, I want to see these creators have success and make enough money so they can do what they love because I'm one of them. You know what I mean? I came to Hollywood with my dreams of having my own show. If these Hollywood guys were just being honest and shooting straight, there would be a lot more creators being able to do this full time for a living. So that's what drove us. So when I went to Sam, I said, what if we built these tools for creators? He was like, I'm in. He knew the problems. We knew the network model wasn't completely scalable for creators in that way, you know, who's going to, let's be honest. If you're, if you have a thousand followers on you, or today, 5,000 followers on YouTube, right? Who's going to want to broker that deal? What's the deal? Like it's going to be pennies. Oh, here's you get 10% of my pennies. No. So they need help from somebody like us. Social Blue Book up tells their value and the new tools coming out helps them make a proper proposal. And then uh, they can have a campaign manager and a secure method of payment through escrow. So these are, can't say escrow secure payments. Legally, we can't say that. But these are the new tools that we're dropping after Blue Book's values. And once again, we're trying to help the little guy so he can continue to do what he loves without having to be ripped off by a middleman. Does that sure. make sense? And Sam, it sounds like you come from a bit of a software background, yeah. at least on the business side. So yeah. are either of you technical or how did you uh, say, hey, let's start a software business and kind of get started with that? It was just kind of an initial discussion. Hey, let's, let's try and build a software platform to do this. Uh, Chad, do you know anything about building software? No, not really. Sam, do you know anything? Uh, well, I worked at a software company. So, you know, I think it was humble beginnings. Uh, Chad and I have learned a lot about how, you know, one develops a software platform and gets it out to the audience and how you maintain that, right? Because, you know, once you've kind of given birth to the child, you have to take care of it and, and, and allow it to mature and grow. So there's been uh, certainly some, some lessons learned, you know, along the process. Uh, we've been through, you know, a few different, uh, you know, sets of, of developers uh, just trying to, you know, for us, it was, it's no different from any company in that you're trying to assemble the right team uh, that is bound by the passion that we have 
to go out and, and serve and, and help the content creator community. It's just uh, assembling the right pieces. And so we feel better than ever, you know, about the team that we have, you know, currently uh, developing and maintaining, you know, our software platform, but certainly not without its hiccups, for sure. And what are some of the inputs that drive value for a creator? As you can imagine, certain genres pay more than other genres. Exactly. There's exclusivity. There's, you know, like if you want to, hey, L'Oreal wants to work with you exclusively for the year, that makes you worth more. There's specificity. If you're a hunting channel and you've got a gun company, who's worth more to you? The family channel or the hunting channel? The specificity of the hunting channel is worth more. That could be worth 3x what our values are. So there's a lot more goes into it. And we're trying to add those variables as we move forward because we're hearing this stuff from the creators. We try to listen to our customer base. I think that's a problem with the companies we worked with before. Or didn't do so they're dumb they don't even have a college degree but they're the customer why would you not listen to the customer it doesn't make sense so uh, yeah there's a lot of variables to it and that's kind of why we as we continue to grow and move forward we're learning that we need to add all of these variables and it's a lot to it you know it's like you know if you have a car with a sunroof or a car with alloy rims and a CD you know what I mean like there's so many variables to that and these are the types of things that okay we have to implement that next so it's a big feat. And then how do you guys monetize? What's the business model look like? That is through transactions and it's going to be through subscriptions too. Right now it's mostly transactions. You know, every deal that is brokered on Social Blue Book, we get a percentage of. But, you know, that is the way it works now. So, but, but I mean, I think we wanted to give back to the community. And by doing that, we, we kind of created this valuation widget uh, that we made available. And it's totally free to any content creator to come in and get a better understanding, you know, a more transparent understanding of, you know, this is my value when working with an advertiser. And it's just a baseline, right? So it's a, it's a, su- a suggested price that may or may not help, right? But but that was kind of our idea of how we might be able to, you know, give back to this community. You know, Chad's been a long time, you know, guarding these relationships, right? So that was kind of step number one. And I feel like we've been pretty successful with that. We've had, uh, we're closing in on about 100,000 different uh, influencers that have actually come onto our platform and registered to, to see what their values are. And then from there, um, I mean, it's not a bad problem to have when all of your customers are influential people. It helps you to grow. I mean, there's, there's a sense of built-in marketing with that, right? And I think we were very uh, aware of that kind of going into this whole process. It's important to say this too. Uh, we're owned by the creators. You know, like a lot of these companies are owned by the big venture capitalists, the big banks. Blue Book is owned by creators. That's kind of why we did the Reg A to allow the community to own us because we thought there's no better brand ambassador than the creators. So, you know, they're over there and they have their, their Ivy League degrees and I get that. And they, they're, they're smarter and better than us. We're owned by creators. We think the creators know the creator community the best. So let's talk a little bit more about that. You mentioned Reg A, the, the Regulation A yeah. equity crowdfunding model. Why did you guys elect to go down that path? It seems like it's a good fit for the community and the business that you wanted to build. But tell us a little bit about, as you know, if other entrepreneurs are listening, how you can take advantage of that structure. So being, you know, having been at Maker Studios to see their exit, uh, they were acquired by Disney for I think somewhere around 650, 675 million. And there were quite a few, if you think about it, uh, there were quite a few content creators that were a part of the network. They were a part of the reason why the network sold but they didn't have an opportunity to really garner any of the proceeds from that acquisition. That kind of served as a little bit of motivation for us. And it kind of led to a dream that Chad and I had of, you know, one of the things that was very smart about Maker is it was founded by some of the biggest content creators. And they said, let's all come together. Let's all benefit each other and a rising tide lifts all ships. 
And so having that same kind of mentality for Social Blue Book, let's bring the content creators together, let's give them an opportunity to own this thing, and we'll all benefit together as this platform starts to take off. And so I think that was a big part of why we decided to go that direction with it. Now, it's no simple task, you know, heading down you know, that path. There's variations you can take. There's a Title III uh, regulate, it's called Title III Regulation CF, that allows you to raise up to a million dollars. The regulations, particularly from the government, are a little less stringent on that one because it's a smaller amount of money. And then there's also what's called Title IV Regulation A+, which is the route that we've chosen to pursue, which is essentially, I mean, it's almost uh, an initial public. It's almost taking your, pu- your company public. It's a lot more regulated. It's, it's directly qualified from the SEC itself. There's a whole approval and filing process for that. Yeah, this is a quick story. One of the creators after Maker Sold came up to me at a party. I think it was a playlist. He said, Chad, I heard the Maker Sold. And I knew he had promoted and helped promote Maker and all that. And I was like, he goes, how much money do you think I'm going to get? And I said, how much equity do you have? He said, what's equity? I felt bad. And I said, you need to go talk to the founders. And I, I, that's not has to do with me. And I didn't know what to say to that. I didn't know. And to be fair to the maker people, I mean, you got 55, you're not going to give equity out to 55,000 channels. So it's like it, those, for those who want to take the gamble with us, which it is, I mean, it's just like any startup. You don't know what's going to happen. We, you want to go with us, go for it. Let's do it. And we've got some of the biggest, Shea Carl, EB Family, Furious Pete. I mean, you, there's just been a ton of big creators who joined us who've invested and they love our cause and what we stand for. So we're standing up for the creators. And I feel like in some ways we're going up against the machine because the other guys have the bigger guns, the bigger weapons. And we're like the the creators with toothpicks, but we are, we want to win. We want to win for the little guy. And that's kind of what we stand for. And that's why we did the reggae. And so it's open to both accredited and non-accredited investors. So for those listening, uh, accredited investors have certain requirements that they have to meet, either certain volume of wealth or uh, yeah. annual income. But uh, choosing the regulation A path made it more available to you know, kind of an average creator to participate. Yep, minimum minimum investment is five hundred dollars. Like you know, in a regular start, you would probably you know wouldn't come close to that. So this gives everybody a chance to get in if they'd like. You know, and once again, it's it's a risk, just like anything, but. We're excited about being able to give this opportunity to people. I mean, I think it's 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 an opportunity for people to get on uh, on the ground floor in a technology startup that typically is only reserved for higher net worth or venture capitalists or you know that type of market traditionally. You know, basically our our pitch is is pretty simple. If you see the world the same way that we do, if you believe in the same ideals that we do about transparency. You know, using software to, to scale a business that we know is just virally growing every year, uh, influencer marketing, then, you know, we invite you to, to, to look at us, read our offering circular, you know, read, you know, all the, all the risks associated with making investment. But we believe really strongly in what we're doing and the, and the team that we form. So you mentioned that the bulk of the revenue today comes from transactions that are facilitated with brands through social blue book, right? So in other words, kind of an influencer marketplace where matchmaking services are offered. Correct. Right. So how does that differentiate from, say, a Fingbit, which yeah. I think a lot of people are familiar with, Relio, you know, dozens of others uh, in that category? Great question. And I knew you were going to ask that. That's a good question. Yeah, we are, Sam said something earlier, he was right on, like, you know, with software and everything, you know, we learned a lot about defining 
designing and deploying software, right? You make mistakes. You're like, okay, we thought this was going to work and it didn't work. You either win or you learn, right? You don't lose, right? That's what we hope. So we've learned a lot. And right now, what differentiates us from them is we realize we are business tools for creators, right? The marketplace is like a side effect. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, we have a marketplace, you want to come over and search the creators through our system, but we really are building business. Like TubeBuddy, your friends, our friends, we love TubeBuddy. Hey, Phil, Eric, those guys have great tools that are building media management tools for creators. Well, we see ourselves as business tools for creators. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So, so your values and subscription businesses Yes, yeah. and that's what we're starting to. That's what we're going to be launching here soon in the next couple of, uh, probably the next month or two. You'll see a subscription based more and more features that have been requested of us. Creators loved our values, and now they want the next set of tools. Sure. So I think that's going to be our focus. And uh, the marketplace. Hey, if you want to join us, we have over a hundred thousand creators. You could look through and see all their engagement levels and find out uh, what their true uh, viewership is and. And we cut out a lot of the outliers. We do a lot of that stuff that advertisers want. But but our main focus is business tools for creators. Do you worry that giving a score to these creators or assigning a value to them and then putting them in this marketplace concept is essentially kind of creating a race to the bottom or, or commoditizing influencers rather than letting these personalities stand on their own? Well, I think our thought was, can we provide software tools that allow them to stand out better, right? I mean... Sure, people, you know, there might be some advertisers that kind of get tired of receiving social blue book quotes and things, but not all of the content creators that, you know, use our tools or, you know, will use our tools in the future are always going to have that, that hard, fast, you know, buy the Bible, uh, you know, social blue book, you know, price that they go by. So, you know, I think the tools and, and the passion that we're trying to bring to the table, uh, you know, for the content creators is how can we make you more efficient? How can we save you more time so you're doing less of the emails and the spreadsheets and all that kind of stuff that's taking up your day and give you more opportunity to be uh, creative and to do what you love, right? Which will hopefully in effect allow them to stand out. Yeah. It's just a blue book was a starting point for negotiations, right? That's all it is. Like there's some people who get triple our quote. Some people get half. It all depends. But what we don't want to see people do, we don't want to see the creators you know, I remember when they would just, oh, they take a product, $10 product, they promote the product. And it's like, what are you doing? You're worth so much more than that. Like, here's the base of where you should start. And they were like, I don't know what my base is. Oh. So when I went around to Shay Carl and a bunch of the other creators, and I said, guys, what if we created a tool that allowed the community to get a starting point, something to give them an idea? So they don't, instead of lowering the bar, they all race to the bottom. If we say you're worth here, not here, you know what I mean? That's going to help raise for everybody, right? Like a lot of these other platforms, they have the creators bid against each other down. That's not, we don't want to see that. I'm a creator. I want to see these creators make more money, right? Now, we know our values are right when both sides are unhappy, does that make sense? When the advertiser says, these prices are too high. When the creator says, these prices are too low. Well, you know, we're just right. When they're equally dissatisfied. Right, they're equally pissed. <laughs> it's like being a referee. Like, you know, you got to get in the middle. And we, uh, we're constantly doing surveys with the community to find out, hey, where are we at? Are your numbers? Do you mind sharing your deals? And that's how Blue Book started was we started sharing. The big creators were like, here's what I got. And they'd give us the contract to show us the deal. And we're like, oh, that's great. And then 
you know, our statisticians want things in 30, started off with 30, but then our sample size grew as we grew, right? Thousands. And as we see deals going down in our system, we got that information. So the numbers and values are constantly changing according to the reach grades, according to the platform you're in, according to your engagement levels. There's many different factors and it's uh, constantly evolving. So, uh, I mean, and I just want to add one last thing to what Chad was saying. It's also hard to, it's hard to get the feeling that we're building that race to the bottom, uh, so to speak, when, you know, we're at events and we try and keep as close ties as we can with the content creator community because, you know, we are so creator centric in, in everything that we do. And they walk up to us and they hug us and they say, guys, you helped me make an extra thousand dollars this month. You like improved my life and my ability to pay rent and, and take care of my kid. You know, it, when you hear kind of those heartfelt stories, that's a big part of, you know, what drives <laughs> yeah. that, that passion too. I, so there's one couple that came up to us, literally said what he was saying to us. And I literally started to get choked up. You know, when you hear like somebody like a thousand bucks, help me in the family out, make extra. And I was like, and I realized what we had done for them. And I, I started blinking and I had to walk away. I'll be right back because I was getting emotional. Like they were so thankful that we did this. We didn't make any money on Blue Book doesn't make, showing the values doesn't make any money. That, that, that doesn't do anything. It just helps the community out. So, uh, you know, like Sam said, it's like, it's nice when you go to these events and people like, they're like, dude, those are the Blue Book guys. They helped us. Right. So that's kind of what we're standing for. We'd love to see all of the creators be able to do this full time for a living, even the little ones. That's awesome. Really powerful. What does the long-term future hold for Social Blue Book? We think the future is going to turn more towards performance-based affiliate. So are you guys getting into e-commerce and affiliate marketing or what do you that's, think? That's, that's that? one of the directions. Yeah, we think, we think it's going to be a blend of what we do, which is brand awareness and then performance-based. So we would probably start to, you know, go down that path. The problem is the curation hasn't been all that great. And we think as that becomes more and more of a better match, you'll see more of that. But right now, a lot of creators we talk to still prefer brand awareness over that because they promote the heck of a product. They give them tons of brand awareness and they don't sell anything. So it was a bad match. So that's kind of, if you would ask me what the future is, I think the future is, uh, I've always been lucky with this too. I always wanted to like call this, uh, called maker, called the avid technology. The future, I think the advertisers are going to be, this is my opinion, could be wrong. I think they're going to be in trouble. The advertisers, not the big ones. You know, the big brands are always going to need advertising issues. But guess what? The creators are the advertisers, right? Who knows their demographic better than them? The advertisers, oh, here's what you need to do. And here, I remember approaching a creator once with a large branding deal. And they said, here's what the advertiser wants you to say and do. And he says, my audience isn't going to go for that. And they said, well, you're going to, that's, that's, that's how it happens. He goes, well, I'm not taking it. And the advertiser was shocked. They're like, what do you mean they're not taking it? This is like a giant deal. It's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to, I care more about my audience than that. So no, I'm not going to sell you a stupid product. Well, it wouldn't serve the advertiser and it wouldn't serve their audience. Right. So, but the advertiser had to wake up and say, wait a minute, my creative is not, you know, like needed here. And I think the future will be the ad, the creators will probably end up selling more and more of their own products. You know, probably white labeling, selling more of their own brand. Well, we've seen with Michelle Fon and Ipsy. Exactly. They're their own little QVCs. They're going to be selling their own products that that are niche to their brand. So that's where I think that's going to end up going. And we want to, like Gretzky says, we want to, you know, be where the the hockey puck is going. 
So that's kind of the, probably the direction we would start to head. Not right away. There's still a lot to be ironed out with values for brand awareness and the brand integration deals. Since creators like that more right now, we're going to keep continue to focus on building a better tool set. And it serves a bigger market. I think only really top tier talent have had success with e-commerce and affiliate marketing to date, and that it's taking longer to trickle down to mid-tail, long-tail creators. Yep, I agree. Yep. And Sam, what do you see as the end game for Social Blue Book? You guys mentioned doing the Reg A fundraising and wanting creators to have a chance to participate, and ultimately it sounds like have that big outcome for everybody to share in, in the dream. So what does that look like for you guys? Well, it's hard to say. More than anything else, we're focused on kind of the, the here and now and how we can provide the best you know, value to content creators. Not to give you the cop-out answer here, but I mean, obviously, you know, this thing can kind of end in, you know, typically two different ways. You know, the, you, you go IPO, which having gone down the Regulation A plus path uh, wouldn't be too big of a, of a jump uh, if that's the path, you know, that we decided to go, you know, was to go public because uh, that's to an extent, kind of something that we've already done, opening up the opportunity for you know, the general public to invest. But I think that there's certainly going to be, and there are already companies that have their eye on Social Blue Book and what we're up to, and that would want to be owners of what we hope to be kind of a valuation standard you know, within influencer and affiliate marketing. Again, I think that there's something very attractive about having a customer base that's made up of, of all influential people. It's hard to predict it, and I know everybody kind of wants that answer, but I think that the Reg A Plus does give some unique advantages for setting up a company to go public if that's what they desire to do. In fact, there was a company uh, very recently, I think they were the first one to get posted on the NASDAQ you know, from a Reg A Plus, initially going down the Reg A Plus app, uh, path. And how do you guys think about, I mean, ultimately you're looking at redefining measurement in a sense, right? So how do you think about traditional measurement companies like a Nielsen or a Comscore who are playing in this world yep. to some of the more, you know, emerging measurement companies like OpenSlate or Tubular? How do we what? How does that overlap with some of the things that you guys are working on or think about? Well, I think what differentiates us from them is we are thinking about things from, once again, that creator angle. I would be happy... Once our tool set is done and we've given them the tools to empower the community to be able to run their own businesses as creators, right? So that's kind of would be my goal. Yeah, I'd like to sell. And yeah, of course, you know, there are investors out there listening. Yes, we would love to have a big exit. But the goal would be to fix that problem for creators first. And that's, I think, what differentiates us from the other guys. They think the advertisers are the most important. We think the creators are. So it's a very big difference between what they think is important and what we think is important. So our values are with the little creators or the, all the creators. That's where our value, and that's, that's, that's the angle we're looking at things from. So when we get in a room and say, the advertisers are the most important because they're the ones that have the money and pay the bills. It's like, okay, well, we think the creators are the most important because they're the ones that have the eyeballs. They're the ones that have the audience. You know, so we think they're most important. So it's going to be a, it's, it's going to be interesting to see who's correct, right? I mean, I think it's hard to to speak for you know other companies and their strategies right. and, and their focus. And you that's know, what differentiates us from them. That is the creators. You know, we we certainly try and as any company would do, try and understand the landscape around you, right? But I think the the most important thing for us is to look at our customer base, uh, to try and serve them as best we can, to be to to try and listen to them. Uh, and their input around, hey, this is what I'm experiencing in the brand deal market. There's a really good article put out uh, called The State of the Brand Deal by uh, Internet Creators Guild. 
that would certainly invite any of the, the listeners to take a look at. But that's the type of information that we want to take into account and that we want to use to better build software for, for our customers. And so the evolution of our valuation strategy and all of that is, is I think, largely going to be influenced by you know, those content creators who are out there doing deals that are reputable in the community. Let's switch gears and wrap up with a few rapid fire questions. So number one, have you guys always kind of considered yourselves entrepreneurs? Chad, you talked about you know, starting a production company and it sounds like a lot of that happened organically. How did you guys you know, come on, on this path? My whole life, I, I've never been a good student in school. I've never been, I've never been good at following rules. I, I've always kind of went my own path. So in all the people, like for instance, ABC, when I was working as an editor producer, I'm like, I'm gonna start my own production company. Every one of those editors is like, ha, 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 you got a cushy job here. That's never going to work. You're going up against Hollywood. And I'm like, I think we can do this. I think, what do you mean? So it's like that Ford saying, if you believe you can, or you believe you can't, you're correct. So if you believe what people tell you, you're never going to be able to do that. You're never going to be able to do that. So I definitely have always had that entrepreneurial spirit and uh that's why when i went to sam i was at maker for a very short time less than two years i was very happy with the exit we got they acquired my production company but once again i just my entrepreneur spirit was tugging me like no you know how to do the right thing why don't you just do it so i left amicably that's when i went to sam and sam's like yes those features would be beneficial to the community and that's how we started and the same story for you you kind of always had the entrepreneurial fire you know, I don't know that I necessarily, I don't think I had necessarily any strong expectations for what my employment career would look like, but it got to the point where I had taken my first job out of school and I was like, you know what? I don't think the people I'm working for are all that smart, <laughs> or I think that, that I might be able to do this better. Maybe it's probably a better way to put it. And then I got really got to thinking that, you know, as I had kind of taken a few steps in, in my career that, uh, I don't want to look back on life you know, later on and say, you know what? I never took a chance on me. I never took a risk. And I think that's really one of the driving forces. What's the hardest part being an entrepreneur or some of the challenges that you guys wrestle with? For me, the hardest part is juggling all the different balls in the air all at the same time, right? You, we wear, you know, <laughs> 10, 20 different hats all at once. And so the prioritization of your time and schedule is absolutely critical. And you'll find yourself spending a lot of time having a lot of conversations about things that don't actually amount to anything. <laughs> and so getting that understanding and assembling the right team so that you can utilize your time and your efforts the best. And it's also figuring out what you're really good at, right? And then focusing in that area. Don't try and do all the things that you're not good at. Find people who compliment you, not who copy you, but compliment you and assemble the right team. Yeah, I agree with Sam. That's, that's kind of how I... Sam was a BYU grad, very good student, very well liked at Maker, good with... Kind of a good student. Yeah, he was good, with, <laughs> he was good with the troops in bad situations. He was like that. I'm not good at school at all. I just, I have like ideas and where I think the future is going to go. And, and that's why I knew, even my family said when they met Sam, like, yeah, he's, he's the right fit for you. Because I know what my, I have a lot of weaknesses and I know what mine are. And he compliments a lot of my weaknesses. So yeah, as an entrepreneur, you're juggling all those balls. You're having to, okay, we need to talk to our creator base. We need to deal with legal and lawyers and corporations and paperwork and we need to raise money and we need to go pitch ourselves and so i mean there's just so many hats 
that you're wearing. I mean, a lot of times I tell Sam, God, I wish I just was a coder. I wish I could just jump in there and code, right? I like that is like a big like, oh, it sucks. But you know what? It's nice not to have to code. Here's, you know, when I worked at ABC, when, you know, there was a producer and editor, they would make a spot, right? Well, it was hard for them to pivot and change because they put so much heart and soul into that spot when they were, you know, can't see the forest of the trees. But when somebody on top of them would come in and say, no, that's clearly wrong. You need to fix this and fix this and fix this. So it actually made for a better product when you had somebody who had like, a, I think, this is my opinion, right? Like Jobs wasn't a coder, right? I mean, he knew a lot about the software world, but he was able to sit on top and say, no, no, you're going to make make it right for the users first and then you coders can do your thing. So I think the plus and negatives are we wish we could code because we would save a lot of money and time and it would make our lives probably easier, but it's also easier for us to pivot, you know, and think about the big picture of things because we're not so caught up in all that code that we spent a year on. Nah, this is not, this is not the right pathway. We're going to go this pathway now. The coder's like, what are you crazy? Right? So it's easier for us to pivot when you're sitting, when you're not a coder, but it also forces you have to raise more money, <laughs> deal with more lawyers. We hate lawyers. I hate lawyers. <laughs> Pros and cons with everything. Yeah. For sure. And I know the feeling a lot of the things you guys both said resonate with me, right? I mean, the challenges of building a business is having to have that ruthless prioritization and really find your sweet spot and try to spend more time there and bring in people, build a strong team that complements the things that you, you know, you're not as adept to, to focus on. So that's awesome. Amen. What's coming next? If you guys had to make three predictions about the online video space, what do you see? Here's what I think the future is. So we go to all these different platforms like Facebook and YouTube and Snapchat, and we're renting digital space from them. And if they don't like what you're saying or doing, they can filter and control you because you're renting, you're renting real estate within their world. I think it's going to be owning your own dot coms will be the future. Owning your own URLs. That's where I think not right away because they still have the biggest audiences. So that's why I think Google has, there's things that Facebook has a huge advantage over. Uh, but I think Google with that search, because I, I just think more and more people are not liking that. Hey, you know, the apocalypse that's happening with YouTube and they're not very, clear on being kind of be compliant with them on what's considered racy or what's considered bad or good. And, you know, DeFranco's talked about that, what, where are the lines drawn and not very clear. So I think the future will be more and more people are going to want to own their own space, their own .com that can't be filtered. So I think like, you know, like the WordPress sites where people allow them to have their own site and build it very easily. I think that will be the future 10 years from now. Right now, these once again, these, mat, these giant platforms are, are taking over the world, but I think more and more, it's getting easier and easier for people to code and for people to find things and people to search and the people to put their own videos up. But I think, to answer your question, it'll go from renting digital space to owning digital space. Yeah, I think that's correct. And, and we're starting to see a bit of this already, but you're going to see more and more of these content creators becoming the brands. Right. And that trend is only going to continue and it's going to be interesting to see how that affects uh, certainly, you know, can't affect the bigger brands immediately, but long-term down the road, how does that kind of take a toll? You know, will there be a can't beat them, join them type approach by, you know, bigger companies that realize that these content creators who own the audience and own the distribution, the power of that, 
that they have to join forces or you know, be subservient in a way to, to them. So that on what Sam is saying, like, look at all the Viners, like Logan Paul and EB fan, all these giant Viners. And they were on that platform and they had big audiences and didn't matter. If they were on Vine when they switched over to YouTube, their audience came with them. You see what I'm saying? So I, that's why I think the creator is the most important, but also like you're saying, like, I, I just, I, I think that it's the ones who own that audience is gonna be the real winners. And it doesn't matter the platform. Look how fast Snapchat came. Like, it's amazing that like, Vine was as big as it was and it's gone now. And now Snapchat raised a ton of money and it's just these platforms seem to be popping up all the time, but it doesn't matter the platform, it matters who the creator is and their fan base. That seems like the real ticket. You'll see a lot more content creators being professional content creators. Right? There was a, a recent survey in, in Two filter, uh, I think it was originally from uh, The Sun, they surveyed about a thousand young people and more than a third of them referenced that being a YouTuber was their number one career ambition. Yeah. Over doctor, lawyer. The world has never seen anything like this before. How does that then affect how much content is out there and how the world perceives that? It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, so we're in the future. You're in the future. I feel like we're in the future. Like this is the place to be right now, right here in this office. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so obviously you guys are right in the midst of uh, building Social Blue Book. But yeah. if you were to start today and, and creating a new new company in the online video space, what would you do? What would you focus on? Well, I don't want to give all of our ideas out. Like, come on. Like, it's a great question. But like, I think that like, where would we... I don't think a lot of people think the VR, I think it's really cool, the whole VR thing. But those goggles, I put them on and after a while I get a headache. So I think it's going to be, I mean, I, my son has the HTC and he used them for a week and then he stopped using them. I'm like, why did you stop using them? He's like, well, I just, you know. So, I mean, the, definitely the future is the gaming and the interaction. I remember my son, when he was little, I was like, Jake, the new Spider-Man's out. And he wasn't excited. And he was playing his uh, video game. He was playing Spider-Man. He said, Dad, why would I want to watch Spider-Man when I can be Spider-Man? And I sat there and I looked at him and it was such a different thought process than when I grew up like it was the movies that was it but now he can be Spider-Man so I don't know VR I think that's definitely really cool technology in the future. I don't think that's quite it I think they're gonna have to come up with something else and I don't know what that is something that's more comfortable to the user and I don't know technology has to technology has to yeah it's like but I don't know uh, but I do think like if you're asking like are you asking the future of what video? are you passionate about if you were to start a business in the space with a totally new idea what would you do just out of curiosity. What would I do? What would, what would I be passionate about? Oh, well, I mean, I'm passionate about making content that makes people laugh. So I would, you know, I, I, I don't know. There's nothing Go back to closer to the creative side? That's what I would do. Yeah. If we ever no, were to... If, here's my prophecy. I foresee Chad going back to his roots of content creation. But I think it'll likely involve newer technologies like... You know, virtual or augmented reality. Be more engaging. Or you do that, right? Yeah, yeah. Sure. That's yeah. that's that's where I would see. You know. Uh, yeah, that's what I, I I really want to be a creator. I like to make people laugh. I like yeah. to clap. You know, they did a recent survey. It's the longest running uh, study by Harvard. What gives people longevity? Guess what it was. What do you think it was? Happiness. That's probably part of yeah, it. That, that's it. But it was uh, the people who lived the longest. It was like a seventy-five year study. People who lived the longest were the ones who had the most relationships most friends and that's probably about happiness so what i really love about the youtube world and being a creator is 
the relatability is being able to put up a video, see the comments and relate with them. Like, you know, when we were just telling our story, it's all about rooting interest. I saw you smile a couple of times because you could relate as an entrepreneur. And I think it's all about, you know, the relationships and, and that, that's what I'd want to get back into that world of where I could be amongst the community and talk to people and relate. So I know that's not really futuristic. That's not like, like, like what would you bet on? But I would just go where my heart is. My heart would be trying to make people laugh and making videos again and just doing what I love. That's, that's what I'd want to do. I don't know if I could do that. No, that's what it's all about. I'm so old. That's, no, that's the value of the question. So very yeah. cool. Well, Chad and Sam, where can people find out more about you and more about Social Blue Book? So I'd recommend going to just socialbluebook.com uh, for learning more about the company. Uh, we actually have, uh, if you want to read kind of a, a synopsis of Chad's story that he shared earlier, which I think is kind of the passion that drives this whole movement of everything we started, uh, you can find it in the about section on socialbluebook.com. But we also have uh, our Regulation A plus crowdfunding effort, and that can be found at invest.socialbluebook.com. And how long is that window open for? 12 months. 12 months or if the company were to decide to, you know, close down the offering prior to that, you know, due to, uh, you know, having maxed out their raise or, you know, something of that nature. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you guys for sharing your experience and also your perspective and passion for supporting the creators and fostering a sense of community and giving them alternatives to having to seek representation, empowering creators to build a business around what, what they love. Cool. And yeah, thank you for having us. This is awesome. This is great, James. Thanks. Great questions. My pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.